0: All right. So over the last three and a half years, and I can't even believe I'm saying three and a half years, um, right? We've had this weekly podcast now on episode 182, right? We've written a book, Dear White Women, Let's Get Uncomfortable, talking about racism. And we've spoken with many different people at many different organizations, which all goes to say that we've heard and learned a lot of things along the way. With a few exceptions, our sense is that people want to be seen as good people. They say they want to be more anti-racist. But despite their best intentions, some things get in the way of people actually doing something to make positive change. And, you know, some of those things are you you don't feel like you know enough. You don't want to make a mistake. And so you don't feel like you know what to actually do. And so you kind of do nothing. Right. And we have a lot of conversations about that but
1: that's what this episode is for. This episode is meant as a kick in the pants at the end of our summer of action to give you a lot of ideas. Listen through, and if something sparks your interest or speaks to you, maybe write it down or remember it and come back to it and do it. And then the best thing you can do, share this episode with a friend and let us know what you think. Welcome to the Dear White Women podcast. We're your biracial Japanese and white hosts, Sarah and Misasha. We've been best friends for 25 years, ever since we met as undergrads at Harvard, and now Misasha is a lawyer, is married to a Black man, and has very mixed-race kids, the boys, the world sees as Black. I'm a life coach. I'm Sarah. I'm married to a white Canadian man, and I have two white-presenting girls, and together we help white women use their privilege to uproot systemic racism without centering themselves in the process. So Misasha, how shall we discuss all of these actions because that we really have found it's the doing, right? People need a little bit of like encouragement and push to go do the things because literally nothing changes if you do nothing. And so I'm wondering, I think we can start by going through people's fears of influences. And I am mean, yeah, we each and every single one of us has a sphere of influence. And so I think when you and I were, were thinking about it, we've really brainstormed a bunch of areas. I'll loosely label them kitchen table, the workplace, the voting booth, money, school if you have kids, and other social circles, right?
0: Yeah, because when I hear you say those, I think about like book clubs, fitness groups, right? Just to name a few. There's so many.
1: So we're going to go through, and I really hope you have a chance to listen to these because this is really a list of ideas of what you can do differently. So first, let's start. Kitchen table. And by that, I mean really like your friendship circles, those you have relationships with. i not... Like we can even say kitchen table or coffee dates, because, you know, it's one thing to say you're not racist. It's another thing to have an entirely white circle of friends and not even try to develop relationships with people who don't look like you. So within those circles, what can you do? Certainly, if you're having family over for a holiday meal and someone makes a racist or inappropriate joke or comment, ask them, what do you mean by that? Don't let it go uninterrupted and set the line. Make sure your family knows there is no room for intolerant or ignorant jokes too. Another thing, look through your friends list. Like, I mean, I think I've talked about this a couple of times, but take a data dump over 24 hours and write out your closest friends, your spiritual friends, your career friends, your family, your acquaintances, and take a look. Are you happy with the balance over those categories? Do you notice any variation in people's skin tone in those lists? And while you're at it, let's look at like other layers too. What about the gender balance, sexual orientation, the college education level, the socioeconomic level, your religious beliefs, right? Just take a moment and notice where you're at with your community right now. Then another thing you can do is think about the people you rub shoulders with every day. Is there anyone in your life who you might invite to coffee, a lunch, or to a party that you're throwing who you might've overlooked? And I added this one because I can't forget the story that a mom shared, a Black mom shared, saying she does all the things the friendly moms do at elementary school, right? She was room mom, Girl Scout leader, volunteers, goes to the school events. And she's like, I never get invited to wine nights or book clubs or bunco nights with anybody. So who might you be overlooking? Who's in your book club? Who's next to you in your fitness classes? Who are the instructors in your fitness classes? I have two more buckets, two more action things that you can consider doing within like your personal spheres. One is in your kitchen table, right? Consider what foods you're serving. Are there ways to bring other cultures into your meal plan every once in a while to make sure your family's exposed to a variety of cuisines? And the last one that I can think of right now, you probably all can think of other things too, but what music are you listening to? If you've ever heard me, Sasha and my musical taste, they are very, very different
0: expose me to more. (laughs) That was a very political PC way of saying that, Sarah. Yes.
1: You know, I think between the two of us, we have a whole list of new songs to listen to. If you go through our old, I think we had like four months worth of weekly action calendars that are on our website, but in particular, consider taking in more hip hop which is a genre originated in New York City in the 1970s. It's like a cultural exchange among Black, Latino, and Caribbean youth. One that Misasha exposed me to in college, right? When I think I first went out to visit you in
0: California and we're cruising down the highway in your car and I'm like, oh my God, I've never listened to music like this before. I'm so glad I was your like cultural entree into hip hop.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then I think there's other places like Afrobeats or reggae or jazz, or bossa nova, right? These are all representative music, like from different backgrounds and cultures that they originate from. So I think, just think about expanding beyond the top 40, which is definitely what I was raised on, unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know, It depends on how you see it, I guess.
0: Well, and I think the great part about hip hop is like, it's, like spoken word, right? And I think that there's a lot of times in our music now where lyrics aren't as important, but there the lyrics are really, really important. So it's not the beat, it's the lyrics too. And so I think that's something worth really listening for. All right, so those were really powerful things I think around kitchen table loosely, You know, however that shows up in your life. And so let's talk about the workplace too, because we get asked, this a lot. And so I want to start with by saying we've interviewed some really perceptive people on our this podcast, right? With great books on this very topic. So Rushika Tolshin comes to mind, you know, immediately, right? So get her book, Inclusion on Purpose, if you haven't done so already, and listen to the episode in which we get deep into workplace inclusion, especially with regard to women of color with her. Right? But that said, there are also some things that you can do right now in your workplaces. So let's go through a couple. For example, whose voices are being centered in meetings, right? Or in presentations or in client visits? Who's being spoken over? Because part of being an ally, part of being that anti racist that people tell us they want to be, is speaking up in the moment, right? And if it doesn't feel safe to do that, sometimes that might not happen, right? It doesn't feel safe. Do it later. But do it not just to the person who's being spoken over in a whispered, like you're so brave or i heard you that's important right but it's also important to use what privilege you have to amplify the voices of those who aren't being heard and sometimes that might look like you know i think sarah had a great point that she just mentioned i mean i always have great points i know right i'd like to hear a little more from sarah right because i don't talk enough yeah no right i mean (laughs) yes (laughs) yes but i mean it's very simple right it's very simple it doesn't take a lot it might take a little of your privilege right but we all have those we all have spheres in which we have privilege too and i like what you said it's
1: like re taking the mic and instead of speaking for that person handing the mic right back over to them is basically what you're saying and i like that
0: all right so as you're looking around your workplace right? who are on the committees at work, right? Who's on your hiring committee, let's say? Who's on your compensation committee? Who's in the C-suite? If those people, and those are just some examples, and remember, I have a law firm background, right? So those are some of the big ones that we see in that industry. And if those people all look a lot like each other, chances are the people who are being promoted or recruited or being asked to join those committees, and let's put a pin in things like referral bonuses, which clearly have people of similar social circles referring each other, right? those people all look like each other too. Okay. So if there's like homogeneity in those groups, we're going to continue seeing that. So maybe those are places where you start asking questions, you know? And I like that because we
1: always talked about who is that McKinsey study that talked about how white people are like, oh, I'm an ally in the workplace. And then like, A much smaller percentage of Black women said they had allies in the workplace. And what they had said they wanted was that sponsorship, right? They want a chance to have you use your privilege to pull them up to the leadership positions because we need to change the culture from the top in order for people to see what needs to be done and like sort of shift everything around it. So it's not just letting people all look alike, do stuff on behalf of everyone else. It's helping promote those who can change the culture just by virtue of who they are.
0: Right. And I think it's important to, you cannot stop with one, right? It is not enough to have the token insert whatever here, right? Because, and that was part of what I really felt strongly about when I was in big firm law, right? That it can't just be one. It's got to be you pull everyone with you, right? Because the more diverse we are, the better decisions we make. That has been proven. And so- and being the token is hard, right? It is really hard, and it oftentimes creates difficult results cuz you for everyone, right? So we pull everyone, right? Let's not just stop at one. All right, also, how are you supporting employees who are outside of the dominant, you know, sort of white, cis, male, American narrative, right? Do you have ERGs? Do you have spaces just for people of color or people with other marginalized identities? Do you have ways to provide upward feedback, right? Especially if, as we discussed, sometimes those higher levels all look alike, right? Full of white men most of the time. Another question, are your white leaders involved in DEI efforts? Or is it just your one Black employee who suddenly gets tasked with a lot more unpaid work, right? Because DEI is very tightly related to culture overall. And if leadership isn't invested, then you're not going to be seeing change, right? So you need to be talking about it at all levels, but you need that leadership buy-in. And so those are really important questions to be asking, right? Because if you are just seeing, well, let me just talk about, you know, are you intentionally thinking about then with this leadership buy-in, right? How to be more anti-racist as a company or, you know, or, you know, are you okay with just one unintentional bias training per year, right? Which I've lived through Sarah. I'm sure you've lived through that too, or.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. It was like how to talk to women in the workplace. And the literally one of the bullet points was don't look at a woman's breasts when you are talking to her. And I'm like, I'm sorry,
0: what? Like, <laughs> Well, that's just straight up sexual harassment. So they were, they were actually running an anti-sexual harassment training, but yeah, I mean, I think everyone's like, okay, check. I checked off my two hours or hour needed for, Continuing legal education credit, right, in law firms. And I'm just going to go back to doing what I was doing until next year when I need to do this again, or every three years, right? So we can't be okay with just that, right? Or, like, if it's not just that, is it then an intentional, regular, facilitated webinar and conversation circle discussion about concrete ways, right, like we're doing here, in which your company can examine its current values and decide how to create a safe environment while, where all employees feel valued? Right? And if that's not happening, you know sometimes a third party can be a great way to start or keep this conversation along with practical action steps going. You know, Sarah, as we were talking about at the start, we've been doing this increasingly more frequently in companies. So of course, reach out if you want to hear more. But we also have some amazing friends who speak to different experiences in companies. Like One example is Jerry Wan, who does a great, an amazing job of speaking to the Asian-American experience in corporate America. We've got a list of other speakers as well. So if you want more, reach out. But it's the intentionality behind what you're doing in your workforce that's going to lead to change. It's not just the one and done. It's not the post on social media for Juneteenth. And then we don't value our Black employees the other 364 days of the year. That's not going to make change.
1: Love it. Thank you for covering the workplace. On to voting booths, which is, I don't know, I think a lot of people have opinions about voting, right? You probably have feelings and thoughts about it. I think one of the biggest things that we would say is don't just vote for the candidates and issues down by party line, right? Whether you consider yourself Republican or Democrat or Independent Vote for something, not just against something you don't agree with. Voting is, for something is so much more powerful in so many ways. And we talked about this in episode 139, I think it was, vote for humanity. So it really makes a difference if you take the time to do your own research, whether it's the candidate, like the person or each issue, and take the time to think about how that person or issue doesn't affect just your life and your family, but the lives of everybody in the community. Right. Because sometimes, like if we vote to increase taxes so that our failing schools can get more funding, we do actually find ourselves voting against our personal interests so that we support the greater good, which we know is going to be good for all of us in the longer term. And so it's important to apply, you know, me, Sasha, what you said before with the workplace was all this critical thinking and asking why and who's here. Like we want to do that at the voting booth, too. I think this next bullet is really something you have spoken a lot about. We've got to care about the local elections as much as the national elections.
0: And especially this year, because it is a midterm year, right? We have a lot of focus on what's happening nationally. And I think that those are important, right? Who we send to Congress is really, really important. But also who your local DAs are, who your city council members are who your school board is like those people are even more important i would argue in your everyday life right those are the people that are making decisions about your local communities and yes congress is going to make some big decisions that impact us all right but your state representatives your local you know your districts your counties those are where you need to vote and you need to know those issues like sarah was talking about right because those are, that will immediately impact your life in ways that you might not even realize right now. So those are so, so important, those local elections.
1: Yeah. You know, my dad died, like, I think over 18 years ago. But one of the things he always said growing up was, you have to vote. You have not just the right and the ability, but like the obligation to vote. In every single election, Sarah, is what he told me, not just the national, but the local ones. Because if you don't vote, You do not have a right to complain about anything that's going on in your society. And so I've really taken that to heart and made a point of using that and really prioritizing the need for us to all vote. So that was about our vote, right? Like if you are allowed to vote, this is how to approach it. But I think there's a bigger picture issue with a voting system that we can all participate in helping to fix. So participate in call centers to encourage people in underserved communities to get out and vote, whether that's in your state or in another, because there are absolutely, you know, I've always grown up in a place where it's really easy to vote. There are a lot of places in this country where you need a vehicle, you need time off work. Like there is a lot of obstacles in the way for people in underserved communities to be able to exercise their right to vote. And so they sometimes won't unless they really feel that it's this important. And so some of our favorite organizations on the calling front, like they literally have phone banks set up that you can do from your home. Um, They include stuff like Fair Fight, the Center for Common Ground,
0: and definitely check out local
1: organizations near you as well.
0: Yeah. Sister District is a great one in the Bay Area, for example. And I just want to add to what you said, Sarah, that yes there are a lot of ways in which underserved communities have barriers to vote and i think it's very important to note that those are by design and especially this year and so the more that we can do to make sure that those individuals have the ability to vote and have their voice heard in elections that are probably going to directly impact their rights the more we should be doing that we should all be doing that Yeah. Thank you for adding that. I mean, the other thing that you and I have both been doing is like sending
1: those voter postcards, right? Through voter letters at the Center for Common Ground or Vote Forward. I actually have a whole stack of them right here, ready to go. And so the more we can use our voices to really encourage people to get out the vote. That's great. The other thing is, you know, what you just said, these are by design, know the history of the Voting Rights Act and use your voice and votes to push back against the current efforts towards voter suppression in so many of our states. I think the organization that I like learning from, the League of Women Voters, they have some great information on their website and the ability to donate to support their work as well. And then the last thing is volunteer to do election protection. Which I almost want to just go, me,
0: Sasha, do you want to talk about that? Because you do it, right? I do do it. And I want to note that you don't have to be an attorney right, to do this. I do this using some of my legal skills, but you do not have to be an attorney to be a poll monitor. You do not have to be an attorney to be a voter call center participant. And by that, I mean in every state, there are hotlines put out by the various parties in which voters can call on the day that they are voting to ask questions, right, not only about the ballots themselves, but also in issues of voter intimidation or questions about what poll monitors are doing. So those are really, really important because people People can be easily dissuaded from voting if they show up and they're saying, you know, they're told that this isn't their polling place anymore. Their name isn't on the roll, some of which are not legit at all. So you don't have to be an attorney to be able to help someone be able to vote um, their voice. I think some of the organizations that you like, what, Vote Writers or the Poor People's Campaign? Also, Vote.org, I think, 866vote.org is a great one as an overarching election protection website. That's awesome. I mean, in particular, I'm going to list a bunch of states
1: here. So if you live in Florida, Arizona, Texas, Georgia, or Iowa, definitely get involved, right? Each state has information on how you can get involved in this stuff on a statewide or a local basis. And so thank you for doing your work in election protection. (laughs) Of course. All right. Next big sphere of influence using your money, right? If you have the privilege of having enough money, that your needs are met, and then you have enough for savings, I think it's important to think about how you can use some money to make changes both big and small in what you're already spending money on. So for small, I was thinking about stuff like where you're already spending your money to see where you can more consciously direct your funds, right? Like if you're buying housewarming gifts, you're buying a candle, buy from a Black woman-owned brand. If you're looking for a beautiful jewelry for someone, maybe find a Native American artisan. If you're buying books, consider skipping our favorite two-day shipping shop and plan ahead to buy from your local stores, right? You can always go online to bookshop.org if you don't know any of your local places, because they do online. But think about what you're already spending your money, where you're already spending your money, and how you might use that to support people and organizations that typically don't get the big box attention. On the big front, ugh, capitalism. I could, we should really do a whole episode on capitalism, right? It's, I think, the cause of a large portion of our problems, but it still makes our world go around. So I think it's important for those who can to consider donating money to causes that are fighting to dismantle unjust systems. The Southern Poverty Law Center, Feeding America, Black Mamas Maternal Alliance, and so many more organizations are doing incredible work. So what are you passionate about? There are organizations out there to support voices in spaces without centering the white voice, which has been the norm in our country for far too long. So go look For the organizations doing the good work to shift the tide of what we say is important in our country who out there is a parent or who has kids in their lives me (laughs) this is the last big bucket so if you don't have a kid just fast forward like real quick because we'll wind it up shortly after this but for schools and, and things to do with kids this is a huge topic that we get asked about a lot so first of all there are some big conversations to be had about the public school versus private school debate. SCOTUS is weighing in on whether religious schools get money. Like schooling is a big freaking deal in this country, right? So think about what's happening in your society's dynamics, the pros and cons when you're looking at places where your kids will frame their world views, right?
0: And I wanna add here, especially if you're raising white kids, because that will be a different experience if you're raising non-white kids and it'll be a different calculus. But I think if you're raising white kids, You should understand what that privilege looks like for your children in class and then make those decisions and have those conversations accordingly. Absolutely. I think secondly, outside of the, do you send the kids to public or private
1: school debate, there's a lot more you can do no matter where your kiddos are. And so I think- you know, One of the things that you can ask about, though I think a lot of parents forget, is that you can actually find out about the approach that your school takes to the curricula that it inc- uses, right? So what is your school teaching about Thanksgiving, for example? Are they teaching the real version or are they using this fake version where Columbus was welcomed with open arms by the Native Americans, right? Are they discussing Asian American contributions to American development regularly, right? Or... Do they teach maybe intentionally that slavery was part of the foundation of this country? Or are they kind of brushing over it, right? If you're in states where it's only mentioned like four times in the guidelines. And that's Idaho, right? It's not just the South where we're not talking about slavery in this country. Totally, right? Versus states like Massachusetts where it's mentioned over 100 times. So see if there's an equity committee in your school where you can help teachers sort of round out the subjects that they're bringing into the classroom. You can put together an Ubuntu day to celebrate the culture of all your school's families and that sort of thing. That was a huge one for our kids' public school.
0: And I would add, do not make the parents of color lead these discussions. I think that's big, especially sometimes being the only parent of kids of color in a classroom. It's tiring trying to be the equity coach for everyone, right? Don't make that person do it. All right. Don't speak for them, but don't make that person do it alone. Second place outside of curriculum the school library and the public
1: library area for that matter. Mm -hmm. Right.
0: So good. Do
1: they have a wide selection of books featuring not just white kids and animals? And I'm not saying that to be like obnoxious, but they literally make up 75% of the main characters of the kids books out there right now. Only 25% of our kids books feature characters of color. So if your libraries don't have that breadth, what can you do to change that? I know for our kiddo school, they wanted to make sure that the books featuring Black Americans weren't just talking about the civil rights struggle. And they had like basically Black people doing everyday things. I'm like air quoting like the Us magazine. Celebrities they are just like us. Like It was basically this point of normalizing Black children and Black families doing normal everyday things. And so that way during Black History Month, our kids' school actually had a huge box filled per classroom, thanks to a grant that they were awarded, over 30 books featuring black people. And then they started creating different books, like book boxes for Asians and indigenous and people of like Hispanic origin. And so they made sure that all of these books were accessible to the kids all year long. And not just during those months, they just started with that intention of making sure they had access to not just civil rights struggles, but like all sorts of books. And then they expanded it to all year round.
0: I love that. And you know, what else you can do is you can read to your kid's class. A lot of times, like you You know, I have a good friend who found out that her kid's school wasn't doing anything for Black History Month, and she was a math major in college. And so she was like, you know what, we're going to talk about hidden figures. And so she went in there and does not teach, you know, kids normally and did a lesson around that because she was so appalled. That her kids' school was doing nothing for Black History Month. And had she not asked, she wouldn't have known. And so I think that's such an important role that we have as parents, right? We have the agency to ask what's being taught, and then we have the agency to sort of change that as well, right? And so again, it's a line, right, between speaking for others and educating kids. But I think that the more exposure we can give kids to different narratives, the more that that will be normalized in their lives going forward in the same way that it wasn't normalized for us. Right. So totally agreed. And
1: I think along those lines of normalizing a variety of appearances and histories and cultures, I think we can all cast an eye at what kind of toys that we buy for our kids. You know, my girls wanted dolls when they were little. And With apologies to all the blonde people in my life, my kids have brown hair. I was like, I don't want my girls having blonde hair, blue eyed dolls, or at least having them be the only dolls that my girls had. And we definitely made a point of buying dolls within a variety of skin tones and hair color and backgrounds, because I think you can expose kids to understanding that there's a whole different array of, you know, bodies out there it doesn't matter what your kid's tone is Buy a variety and it can really change how they interact with people who look like that too the other thing you and i love talking about is a tv show and movies you're letting your kids
0: watch yeah i mean we look for shows that look like our family right and there aren't that many out there still just throwing out there but you know, one thing that we do watch and my kids really like is Blackish. And I'm just going to put it out there because Blackish is all of the conversations that we actually have in our house produced in a TV show. So, and these are not conversations that you would have in a non Black household. I want to be very clear. So, you should watch it. You know, they're on there in syndication. It may feel uncomfortable. Sometimes it feels uncomfortable for me, right? But it is 100% worth watching. And my seven year old can watch it right? For the most part. So can yours. I love what you said about Blackish because I think, and I get the
1: uncomfortable part because we turned it on in our house once, or we turned it on in our house. And the first time that we turned it on, the whole family was like, are we allowed to watch this show? Like, it was that sort of discomfort of like, wow, we're not used to seeing, first of all, we haven't watched sitcoms in forever, but we weren't used to seeing a whole show. And I had to talk to the family about it. Like, I'm being real
0: honest here. Like, It was that reaction of like, we don't see many shows like this. And so. Well, and I love that you said that because I also think like, sure, blackish is for Black people to see themselves on TV as, you know, and my sons love seeing themselves, right, reflected. But those topics are topics that Black people already know about, right? Like I said, those are the conversations that are happening in our house. So it's really... You know, I would put out there that it's a show almost more for non-Black people in terms of education than it is for definitely than it is for Black people in that sense. So, yeah, absolutely. Everyone should watch that. I like that. I feel like you're saying that it's your opportunity as a
1: non-Black family to be a fly on the wall inside the house of Black family to see what is normal conversation there.
0: Well, and also, like, what am I doing, right? If Because I was just reading this article before we recorded about you know, how there's no such thing as a perfect activist, right? And how it might be more important to think less about doing good and more about not causing harm. And what I think Blackish is really great about is that they have characters in there that say the most outrageous things, like the Dre's white boss, right, who says sort of the most ridiculous things, except they're not because they've been said. And so I, I think that on the not causing harm front is part of what can I do to be more anti-racist, right? It is definitely part of that, as, along with the doing good. And so I find it really important for that. I appreciate you saying
1: all of that. So thank you. This was not a paid advertisement. (laughs) I think along with that, you know, the game that you and I both play with the kids, what do you notice is something that you can ask the kids as they watch shows with you because they do start noticing what people look like and how they're being represented. So like you can decide what shows you want your kids to be exposed to. I remember when my girls were little, they loved Doc McStuffins, who is a little black girl doctor. And that was such a cute show, period, let alone it had a Black like main character. And on the flip side, I outright banned Barbie Life in the Dreamhouse because it totally glorified rich, white, sort of vacant culture. I didn't want my kids to think that that was something that they could emulate because children do emulate what they're exposed to. I mean, I can go into the studies around that for sure about the violence and blah, blah, blah. But I think while you're watching, obviously take in shows like Blackish, think about what you're watching, but then like say, what do you notice about, what do you, we all notice about the TV and the movies that we're
0: watching? Yes. I have a special note about HGTV, which I know that is a favorite, right? Because who doesn't want to see some beautiful remodel, right? And you know, 30 days or whatever, but it's not just white people who can be home professionals, right? Which I think HGTV, up until very recently, had a hard time finding diversity, right? In that, if you watched HGTV, you would think that pretty much everyone who does anything related to home repair, remodel, designing, interior design is white so i think that when you're watching shows and you're looking for you know who's being represented you also want to look at who's not being represented because i think those are also really really to Sarah, to, you know, to what do you notice? like you notice a whole lot of people who are white in the show, right? and for my family, it's i notice a whole lot of people who don't look like us. and so that's also a great conversation. It's awesome. All right, last bucket for the kids for now. <clears throat> we will
1: revisit this all in future episodes, i'm sure but who were the healthcare providers you select for your family? And I'm going to say this with a little bit of pride because I remember the day when my girls asked, I think one of them was like six years old and they're like, oh, they'd seen their first male doctor and they're like, mommy, boys can be doctors. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't even know that I did this, but it turns out I had found them a female Hispanic pediatrician, a female Jewish dentist. And now we've moved and we have a female Asian dentist. Like I wound up selecting providers for my family that weren't white males and so i think that's another thing you're already selecting providers who can you find that can provide you know help for you and your family
0: yeah i would say my boys probably only believe that asian women can be doctors and dentists because those are all of theirs but yes i think it's important and i think also as you get older And there are specific cultural things that come up, right? Or specific, I know that with COVID, there has been different reactions as to skin tone, right? And oxygen levels and so forth. And so it is important to have people who understand that as well too, if you are not white. But I totally agree that diversity, seeing people that are outside of what we are, have been taught, doing those things is so important, especially for kids. So. Long story short, there are
1: a lot of things you can do and there's always more to be done. Last words of wisdom include things like, you know what? Nothing's going to be perfect. So get over any ideals of perfectionism you have because you will make mistakes. But this is a way of engaging with the world to use critical thinking and observations to see what narratives are not being told or shared and to use our own platforms and privileges to turn the spotlight onto the things we want to pay attention to in order to build a more equitable world one day, one step, one action at a time. So let's keep going. You've just listened to the Dear White Women podcast with your hosts, Sarah and Misasha. Yes, we're on social media. And yes, you can hire us to do talks about our book. But the biggest thing, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter to receive our free materials. Head over to DearWhiteWomen.com to get on the list.